Zephaniah chapter 3. Um, so if you turn to Zephaniah, Zephaniah is near the back of the Old Testament. So you got Malachi, Zechariah, and then Zephaniah, or Haggai and then Zephaniah. So it's, it's towards the back there. Um, So I, I, everybody there? Got it? So what I thought we'd start with is just to do a little bit of what we've been doing at my study at home on Wednesday night, 7.30. And it it sort of ties in a lot with what um, Pastor Ben's been taking us through in Hosea. So Hosea was a... um, uh, a prophet to the northern tribes, okay? And um, he, roughly about a hundred years before Zephaniah, Hosea gave his message to the northern tribes. And the, the message was always repent, repent, because God never wanted to judge. He wants to bless and he wants to give warnings, and that's what he does. He gives warnings. Um, And we saw at the end of um, Hosea, the message was simply, return to me and come talk to me. And Zephaniah's message, a hundred years later, to the southern tribe in Judah and Jerusalem is the same thing. Return to me and come talk to me. That's what God wants. Talk to me. Talk to me. So before we start into this, we're just going to pray and we'll get into the book of Zephaniah. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the love that you have poured out in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus who died on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven so we can be given a new life, so we can get to know you, and that we can return to you, and that we can talk with you. And we pray that, Lord, as we open up this book, that Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us, you would guide us into truth, and lead us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1. It's just going to take you through a couple of verses in the first two chapters, and then we're going to get into chapter 3. The book opens up, and it says, The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, and then it tells us who his ancestors are. So he is the son of Cushi. He is the son of Gedaliah. He is the son of Amariah. He is the son of Hezekiah. And that's King Hezekiah. So it tells us something here that Zephaniah was actually related. He's a great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah, and that means he's of royal lineage. He's different than every other prophet because the other prophets weren't related to kingship. They weren't of royal blood, but he is. He's different. And if you think you're different, that's super good. That's super good because being different is something that God can use, and we're all different. And I know for me, I always think I'm different. 
And I always tell people I'm different. And I'm telling you right now, whatever has shaped your life, you're different, and you're different for a reason, and God wants to use it. He is different. He's of royal lineage. That means he had the ear of the king. He could go in, and let's see who the king is. It tells us, the message came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. So Josiah, who was king, he was king when he was eight years old. He really didn't do much for the first 10 years being an eight-year-old child. But when he got to be 18, the word of the Lord sort of resonated in his heart and his, his mind. And he, well, I'm going to make reforms. And we know that King Josiah made lots of reforms. He tore down the high places and the idols and this and that. And he restored Israel to where it should be on the external. But he really didn't change the hearts because he can't change the heart of people. And we can try all we want to change the heart. But you can't. God does it. And unfortunately, after um, Josiah dies, his son and his great-grandkids go on and become kings, and it's not very good. But this is to the nation of Judah a hundred years after Hosea had prophesied. And it's the same message. Josiah, when he was king, also had a guy called uh, Jeremiah, who we know Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah's ministry lasted a lot longer than Zephaniah's because Jeremiah got to talk and basically warn the kings and the priests, don't do this, turn, repent, come back to God. But Zephaniah's was a shorter time only during the reign of Josiah. And his message is a message of judgment. Seven times in the first chapter and a bit, he introduces this concept called the day of the Lord. Seven times, bang, 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 bang. The day of the Lord's coming. And we know that has a, in their time, it was a sort of a, um, a present imperative. It was going to happen soon. We also know that as time has rolled on and Jesus talked about a time of judgment coming, it also a, a, has a future fulfillment. And we're going to see this in, this in this in this book, in this chapter. And he starts out in verse 2, and he starts out like a, a ton of bricks. You know, Ben comes up, and I, I like Ben. He comes up, and he gives you this like, introduction, blah, blah, blah. He, he, I don't have that ability to do that. I'm not that creative. You know, I, I'm sort of, I like Zephaniah. Because Zephaniah starts out and says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. How do you do? Welcome, w welcome everyone to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. You know, but that's how he does that. And he doesn't, you know, um, sugarcoat anything. And I don't say Ben doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just does, he does his sermons a little bit differently than I do. I just get up and start talking. And then he says, I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. So it sets the tone for what this whole book is about and what Zephaniah is going to talk about. And it's not going to be friendly. And it's not going to be fun. 
These people were playing with God. They were playing with religion, and he didn't want a bar of it. And, but God, in his mercy, brings a guy like Zephaniah to talk to them. He's not sitting there going, judgment's coming and too bad. No, judgment's coming, and I want you to change. So we continue on. Go to verse 12. Because this is the mindset of the people. And it came to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. The people at the time, their mindset was, well, God's not really going to do anything. He's not going to do bad. He's not going to do good. So we'll just do whatever we want. So what's the sense of me doing anything in regards to what God says when he's not going to do good, he's not going to do evil? God's just out there. He's a concept that has been passed down over the years, and that was their mindset. So what? Do whatever we want. Then in verse 14, he again introduces this concept of the day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter, and the mighty men shall cry out. Mighty men don't cry out. But this is how bad things are going to get. The day of the Lord, the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. And that was a short-term fulfillment in their day, but Jesus alluded to the same thing. 600 years later, Jesus arrives on planet Earth, and in chapter 24 of Matthew, he writes this. He says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So Jesus talks about a, a fulfillment or a time of great trouble, which we call the Great Tribulation. Zephaniah gives a, a description of this judgment, which the nations around at that time, at 600 B.C., did experience. Jerusalem did experience this. But we're also going to see that God will talk about all the earth, not just focusing on areas. He's going to talk about all the earth. So there's a present, and then there's a future fulfillment of these things. Chapter 2, we see the heart of God. Before Chapter 2, verse 2, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. So through Zephaniah, he's telling them, okay, guys, before this happens, twice he tells them, 
before the issue is the decree is issued, before the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's anger is poured out. Before this happens, I want you to do something. His cry is, seek me. Seek the Lord. Go seek him. And I think he's been crying out to all of us, seek me. Seek me. Get alone and seek me. I've been sitting here for weeks listening to Ben, and it's the same message over and over again. Seek me. Come talk to me. God wants us to talk to him. And it's easy to go through life believing in God, learning, and getting equipped. But you know what the hardest thing to do is? Getting alone and talking to him. Because he really is real. And he really does talk. And we're going to see in this, guys, he delights in you. He delights in me. It's astonishing that he does. Because I look at me, I look in the mirror and go, why on earth would God desire to talk to me? But it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on how I look in the mirror. It's dependent on Jesus Christ. And it's dependent on God's nature. He wants to talk to me. And he wants to talk to you. He said, seek me. Seek me. It is unbelievable how much God wants us to be with him. He delights in us. He delights in us. As Zephaniah tells them, seek me, he then pronounces judgments. In the, in the rest of chapter 2, he talks about the cities to the west of Jerusalem. Then he talks about the cities to the east of Jerusalem. Then he talks about the cities to the south of Jerusalem. And guess what? He's going to talk about the cities and the nations to the north. He's talking everywhere. So in verse 13, he says this to this nation, this city. And it says, and he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. At the time of Zephaniah saying this, nobody in their right mind would have ever thought this would ever happen. Ever. These guys are too strong. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make waste of these guys. So bad, the herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, and he will lay bare the cedar work. He's going to destroy everything, and animals are going to be living in the palaces. You go, he can't be. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none besides me. Gee, and doesn't that sound like basically everybody in the world? It's all about me. Every celebrity you read about, it's all about them. And then for some reason, we believe their lives are together, and then we start to think it's all about me too. 
but it's not. But this is what happens, and this is what the world tells us. This is like 2,600 years ago. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and, and shake her fist, shake his fist. It's going to be ridiculous. And that's the prophecy. And that's the amazing thing about the prophetic word of God. It always comes true. Always. Always comes true. It's amazing. Now we get to chapter 3. We're going to do the whole chapter. And you're probably thinking, man, Bob could be here forever. But I'll try to be short-ish. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent treacherous people and the people of Zephaniah's day are probably thinking wow wow Nineveh is pretty awful but then he describes who this actually is he says her priests have polluted the sanctuary and they have done violence to the law that's the Jews that's the people of Judah and they're like that's us and Zephaniah is saying, that's us. And like most of us, we hear messages and we think it's for someone else. Gee, I hope my wife's listening to this one. You know? And my wife's thinking, gee, I hope Bob's listening to this one because he really needs that. Or... I hope my son's listening to this one because God's speaking to him or my daughter. But we never think it's actually God's message to us. And I'm sure they're thinking, gee, that was Assyria, that was Nineveh. And he says, no, it's actually you. It's actually us. But look at verse 2. I want you to see how good God is. It says... She has not obeyed his voice. You know what that tells us? That tells us that God was speaking. His voice. He's speaking all around. And yet, they didn't obey it. Next it says, she has not received correction. God was correcting the people. He corrects us. Why? Because we do stupid things and he wants to get us right. And that's what he was doing. I want to correct you because I want you not to get hurt. I don't want pain in your life. I want you to be blessed. I want you to listen to me. Then it says, she has not trusted in the Lord. God had shown himself trustworthy over and over and over and over again, and they didn't trust the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, okay? This word trust 
is the same word as the New Testament word we get in Greek for believe. So we would say, he would say, you're not believing in me. You don't trust me. God's been doing a work of trust with me. It's major because I don't trust people. I'm just being honest with you. I trust Jackie. I, I trust her. I trusted her the moment I saw her. Did I tell you that story? Yeah, you guys heard that story. I love that story. All right. But I, I trust her, but I don't trust many people. But he's working on me to trust. And he's working on me to trust him to trust others. And for me, it's hard. But he says, come on, trust me. I'm trustworthy. He's been trustworthy to you. He's been trustworthy to us. He has never failed us. He can't fail. But he says, trust me, believe me. And as we please God, the only way to please God is to believe. Day by day by day. Most of us, I, I, think, I think most of us in here are born-again Christians. We have come to that point where we have believed Jesus Christ for our salvation. And he wants us to believe in him every day for the things that he wants to do in our lives. And then it says this one, she has not drawn near to her God. They haven't sought her. They didn't seek. It means God's standing there, and it's like, you haven't drawn near. I'm here to help. You haven't drawn near to me. And I'm as guilty as anyone. He said, seek me. Come and talk to me. But these guys hadn't. But this is what God does. He's calling out. He wants to correct. He wants us to trust him, and he wants us to draw near. That's what he wanted the people of Zephaniah's day, and that's what he wants today with us. And even though everybody was doing bad, the priests, the judges, the people, look at what verse 5 tells us about God. The Lord is righteous in our midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. Even though all this was happening, he tells us, I'm right there. He's in the midst of them. And he won't do unrighteousness. He'll do the right thing for you. He'll do the right thing for them. Every morning he brings it, he never fails. He really does never fail, ever. Ever. But at the end of this verse, we see the but. And the but is always the opposite. But the unjust knows no shame. He was so good to them, and yet it was like they didn't even care. They just flaunted their sin. That's what it was like. And I'm sure this just broke God's heart at that time. It broke Zephaniah's heart. And in verse 6, 
God continues. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. He is talking to the people of Judah, the people in Jerusalem. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate. With none passing by, their cities are destroyed. For there is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely they will, you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that the dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. So all he's saying is, guys, look around. Look at what I've done. I've punished these people who've turned their back and doing all the things against me. And yet the response was the big B-U-T, the opposite. They rose early and corrupted all their deeds. And you wonder why God judged these people. And in verse 8, he says, Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I will rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation. My indignation is synonymous in the New Testament of tribulation. And we're going to see this is actually a reference to the great tribulation. All my fierce anger, all the earth, shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. This is 2,600 years ago that God's saying this about all the earth. We haven't seen this yet. This has not happened on planet earth yet. All the earth has not been devoured. But it's coming. Why? Because he never fails. His prophetic word always comes true. The next section is a marvelous section. It goes from judgment to all of a sudden everything changes and it's going to be redemption and restoration. And that's the way it always works. Judgment and then difficulties and blessings. You read the book of First and Second Peter. Difficulties, then blessings. If you're going through difficulties right now, guess what's coming? Blessings. Why? Because that's the way God works. He did the same thing with Hosea and the northern tribes. He will restore it. He does the same message here in Hosea. Judgment and then restoration. He did the same thing with Jesus. Judgment. Jesus took the sins of the whole world and was judged. But that wasn't the end of the story. Three days later, rose from the from the grave, rose from the dead so that we could have new life, restoration. And that's the way it works. This next section is so beautiful. It tells us what God has in plan for the Jewish nation. It also is sort of a, a view of what he's done for us. And I think it's important we understand just how much he loves us and how much he wants to pour his life into us. It is, it is masterful, it's marvelous, and it's all his doing. It is, if you're ever going to listen to anything I ever say, don't listen to what he's going to say in these passages. Okay, the next verse. 
So all this nonsense going on, God's going to pour out judgment, and all of a sudden it just changes. Because God is good, and God is love. For then, I'll restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. He is going to restore a pure language. Now, theologians say this could be the language of Hebrew. I don't know. To me, it just could be, hey, we're all talking the same language. Nobody's going to be going against God. Everybody's going to be for him and praising and talking about how great he is. We all speak the same language because God is good. Amen? We all speak that same language. So that we may call on him, that means we actually talk. And I think he actually wants us to talk to him. And so that we can serve him. And it is just beautiful. In verse 10, we're going to look at how God regathers. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of the dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. He's going to bring them all back. And we're seeing that. We, we saw that in 1948. But more and more Jews are coming in. And he's going to bring them back into the land. He's going to do this stuff. Remember, this is specifically to Jerusalem and Judah. Okay? This is, he's talking to the Jews on this. Now, we, we have something called replacement theology, which is something that churches talk about and they speak. And they say, well, the church replaces Israel. Well, it's, it's not in Scripture. This is a promise to the priests that polluted the sanctuary. They've done violence to the law. This is about them. But it is also to us. We also get recipients of this, of this blessings. So he's going to regather them. Next, we're going to see when God regathers people and he brings them to himself, they repent. And we're going to see what repentance is and what repentance looks like. Because when we come to Jesus Christ, we repent. Repent means to change. So I like to make it simple. We go, well, repent. No, just change. Change. Because God doesn't want you to be the way you were because the way you were was hurtful and painful. He's like, no, I want you to be blessed. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to sit there in your mind and, and regret the day. I want you to enjoy the day, and I want you to rest peacefully. Here's repentance. In that day, you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds. I can remember growing up, and I can remember being a young man. I regretted the deeds of my day. But he says, you're not going to be ashamed for any of your deeds for which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, and I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. They're changing. They were haughty, but not anymore. They 
were ashamed, but now they're not. It's called a change. And this is what change looks like, the next verse. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness. Before they were doing unrighteousness, now they're doing no unrighteousness. It's called change. They shall speak no lies. They lied, now they don't. It's change. That's repentance. Nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. They had a deceitful tongue, now they don't. You guys get it? It's change, and that's repentance. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Repentance is change. A person once asked Spurgeon, what's the most important language to learn? Because they were probably looking at, do I learn Hebrew or do I learn Greek? Or what's the best way to, to learn about God? And Spurgeon turned to this person and said, the most important language to learn is the language of no. To say no. Because that's what repentance is all about. When your flesh says, do it, you say, no. When the crowds around you are saying, join, no. No. That's a change. And it's freeing to say no. I tell my wife every time she wants to buy something, no. No. That was just a joke. She can buy as she pleases. But no is a good thing to learn. When my flesh wants to scream those words that I, I hear in the office, and when I hear in the bus, and I hear different places, and then my spirit, the spirit of God who lives in me says, no. That's called repentance. That's called change. And man, when that happens, God rejoices. He totally rejoices. That's what repentance is. If you've never known, that's it. Learn the language of no. Kids learn that from the day they are born. No, but that's a bad language. They've got to figure all that stuff out. All right? But that's the language that is happening here. This is what repentance looks like. And these people, God was doing a work and everything was going to change. Verse 14, we're going to see the next stage after God regathers and they repent, it's rejoicing. And when we come to Jesus Christ, he regathers us, we repent, and we rejoice. Verse 14, sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall see disaster no more. That sounds like they understood what the whole concept of being born again is about. They're rejoicing because God was with them. 
because the Lord had taken away their judgments and God has taken away our judgments. We deserved it all. But Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, has taken away our judgments. Our judgments were on him. And we rejoice that he took that, but that he rose the third day. We don't have to do that. I never have to pay the price. But I should have, but he did. And we rejoice in that. We thank, we're going to celebrate communion today. Just seems to work that way together, huh? Pretty good. We remember him and what he did. And the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Yeah, he's in you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. How good is that? How good is that? Absolutely awesome that we are seeing them rejoice. And I will, um, I'll say this. Come here to sing to the Lord. Come here. Come here on time to sing to the Lord. John said this when he, before he left. And, you know, I um, rejoicing and singing to him is very good for, for you. It's something that is marvelously good for you. Yeah, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for me. Come and sing and come and rejoice and sing praises to him. And be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Verse 16. It's beautiful as well. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, and it shall also be said to you, do not fear. And Jesus tells us, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. If God has done all these things, in verse 15, he's taken away the judgments, he's cast out the enemy, and he is in your midst. He says, don't be fearful. You know, the, the book of Timothy, I think it's Timothy. I get confused sometimes about the books. It's showing my age. It tells us that um, perfect love drives out fear. His love drives out fear. And as we get closer to him, the fear dissipates. And when we separate from them, we become fearful of things. What, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, uh, what's going to happen with my assignment? Or what's going to happen with this? Or what's going to happen with my kids? Or what's going to happen with my wife? What's going to happen with me? But as we draw closer to him, perfect love drives out fear. That's true because God never fails. And you go, well, wait a second, my hands are weak. He'll strengthen your hands to do everything you need to do. He does because he loves you. He loves me. I'm still amazed he loves me. I know me better than any of you know me. But I also know God loves me. And he knows you better than he knows you, than you know you. And he loves you, which is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Check verse 17 out. Now we see 
He regathers, they repent, they're rejoicing, and the Redeemer takes his rightful place in their midst. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. This is absolutely mind-blowing to think that the nations had turned from him, his own people had turned from him, the nation of Israel in the north had turned from him, and they had been, the Assyrians had invaded. Now you got the southern tribe of Judah, and they're all doing the wrong thing, and Josiah's, he's doing a couple things that are good, but overall, he's not changing the heart. And you think, if it was me, I'd just go, see you later, man. I've had enough of this, but not God. He is so good. His people are so bad. But, you know, the book tells us when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. He's still faithful. He's good. It says the Lord is in your midst. He's there. I, I love that. I absolutely love it. He's there. The next one, he will save because he can save and he will save. That's what he does. He rejoices over you with gladness. He actually has joy over his people. He rejoices. He has joy. He's glad. And you think, not me. He doesn't have joy over me. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. He's right. He rejoices over you with gladness. Do you think he wants to be with you? Do you think he wants to talk to you? Do you think he wants to hear your voice? Do you think he wants to, you to hear his voice? You know, it's like, um, it's like if I were to come home every day and never talk to my wife, she'd be miserable. And so would I. And like when we don't talk to God, he's just sitting there going, would you just talk to me? And some of us may just need to just get away and just say, to God, hi. That's simple, hi. He would erupt. Thank you. That's all I wanted. That's, that's, that's really what he, what he wants. He will quiet you with his love. That means he gives you rest. Man, I wasn't going to cry today. told you I was getting ready. Celeste saw me getting the tissues. Like, I just got to be ready. Oh. But it's so true. It's so true. He quiets you with his love. That's complete rest in him. And it's his love that just, man, it just takes the turbulence away and just, okay. Everything's going to be okay. Because I know God's here. And look at this last bit. This is astonishing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Did you ever think God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit singing over you? 
And if you think, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy enough or I'm not good enough, look at what the people of Judah were doing. I mean, seriously, look at this. You're not obeying me. You're not receiving. You're not trusting. You haven't drawn near. Your princes are like lions. Your judges are evening. How would you like to have a wolf as an, a judge? Oh, you're gone. The judge would say, you know, listen, I, I actually, they're guilty, so you pay them a million dollars, and you know what? Your court fees are 1.1 million. That's, that's, like a, that's an evening wolf as a judge. You're like, I won? No, you, yeah, you did win, and I won too. You lose. That's what it's like. The prophets are insolent, treacherous people. The priests pollute. They've done violence to the law, and God says, I'm going to rejoice over you with singing because I'm going to do a work. I'm going to sing over you. And I never, you never think of God singing. Um, I was reading, I can't remember who said it, um, but God creates the world and he says, it's good. Jesus comes and enters the world and the angels cry out. Yet in here, when God's people return to him, God erupts in song. He sings. If you are so special, people, you are so special to him, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. It is amazing that God sings. It reminds me of, um, I'll embarrass Samuel a little bit. He, he didn't know because he was just a little baby. But Samuel used to cry when he was a baby, and he, like all of us. And he needed to be comforted, and he needed to be, and I would, I would sing, you know, Jesus, hold me closer, closer to the Lord to you, for I desire to worship and obey. And I'd sit there, and, and I'd sing it. And he would calm down. And I think, gee, if we just would be that little baby in God's arms and let him sing to us, wow, maybe we'd quiet down and stop crying so much. Settle our hearts. Sorry, Samuel, I just had to, that came, that came there. I did it to Kate too, by the way. Never picked up Jackie and did that, though. All right, I'll let you know that. Not yet. But deity singing, he is so happy. God is so happy that he's done this, and his people responded. And I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly among who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. This is encouragement to these people. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. And gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they have put to shame. And it sounds a lot like he's going to raise these people up to a position. They're lame. They're nothing. And he's going to put them in a, a position of praise and fame. It sounds a lot like, you know, coming back and ruling planet Earth with Jesus Christ. It's pretty awesome. He puts them in those places. At that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. He duplicates it. And when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. 
the book of Hosea ended with this. Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. The book of Zephaniah, even though they failed, God wants the same thing. It's the same message. It's the same message throughout the entire Bible. He wants, his, he wants people back. And you go, what about my neighbors? What about my family members? He wants them. They couldn't be any worse than the priests who are polluting a sanctuary. God's, my family's never gone to a church and ruined it. I think. All right? And yours haven't either. And even the people you work with. But better days are coming, he says to these people. Better days are coming. It's going to be good. His message, and I think the message that I want to say today, talk to him. Go talk to him. He is totally and utterly in love with you. Beyond anything you think. He really does love you. Beyond your wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams. Travis, you want to come up? That was pretty subtle, huh? <laughs> pretty good. Um, we're going to take communion. Now, communion is, is it's pretty unbelievable how it's going to link into today's message, which I, I can't remember if Ben told me we're doing communion. Again, I'm showing my age. I don't know, but that's okay. Because communion is not about us. It's about him. I will teach a little bit after they play um, and as you guys come up. But I, I, as, you, as you do come up, it tells us this. Do this as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is about what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done for me. And yes, maybe you've screwed up, and maybe you're not where God wants you to be. Or, But that's not the end of the story. He's told us he's faithful to complete the work he's begun. He has. We remember what he did for us by dying on a cross. That's it. And when you remember that, it gets you right back to the place you need to be. Yeah? So as the guys play, take your time, come up. If you're not right with the Lord... Spend some time. Ask the Lord to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your unrighteousness. That means every single bit of it. All is everything. And you're right back to where he wants you to be. Right back to where he wants to be. And then you take communion. And we go from there. All right.